0: We are in the, uh, and this is on page, if you're using the Bible in the pew, this is on page 832. Uh, if you want to click there or turn there in your own Bible, whichever that might be, we'll also have not only the passage but a lot of others up on the screen. It's always good just to have it in front of you as well. Before we jump into our message for today, let me pray and just ask God to speak to us. So God, we know that you are good. We know that you are here with us. We know God that you Um, Know everything that we are carrying and processing and dealing with and dreaming about, everything good and bad, hard and celebratory, and we bring those to you. We are grateful for the God that you are. We are grateful for your care. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful that your mercies were new today and they will be again tomorrow. I pray, God, that you would encourage our hearts this morning. Um, Especially with the topic at hand, God, I pray that you would give us a deep sensitivity to your leading And you're speaking to the reality of the fact that that you want us to hear you. And I pray that Spirit, whether we're here in the room or we're watching from home, uh, that you would just encourage our hearts this morning and that you would be the one speaking. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so we are in the fourth part of this new series, or the series that we've been in called Let's Talk About. And we're leaning in and going into topics that many times get avoided when it comes to emotional health um, and mental health. And so we've been really laying some of the groundwork for that, talking about the fact that we are emotional beings. Our emotions are how we we're made, that we need God to be leading those things. We've talked about our past and how they influence us. Last week we talked about the specific topic of anxiety, talking about how Jesus, our identity in Jesus is our foundation for that. And it guides our thought process and guards our lives. And I just want to encourage you if this is your first time um, hearing one of the messages in this series, or maybe you missed one of the first three, if you go into your phone's app store and just look for New Life Community Church, you'll see our logo there. And if you download the app, just choose Lincoln Park, and you can go back and hear some of the other messages. And I would really encourage you to do that. Um, just thinking about the importance of this topic, the relevancy of this topic. Um, I, I would just really encourage you to go back, you know, throughout the week, whether you go for a run or you're just driving, maybe on the train in the morning, whatever that looks like, and just be caught up because it's, it's the feedback that I've been getting about how prevalent this is for people. It's just been really encouraging. And so if you've missed any of those, I would love for you to be able to be encouraged. Um, today, we're going to be, just like we talked about a specific topic in anxiety last week, we're going to move into another specific topic. In 2015, Uh, Pixar came out with the movie Inside Out. Anybody see that one? Uh, Profound, profound movie, uh, which portrayed the importance of our emotions, but not only the importance of our emotions, but the importance of that, how important it is of how we process our emotions. And one of the emotions that's portrayed very powerfully in the movie is the emotion sadness. Thank you, we will. Her teacher hasn't even seen Riley all day! What? What was she wearing last year? Do you even remember what... Riley! Oh, we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late. Uh. Minnesota too. I miss the woods when we took hikes. In the backyard where you used to play. Spring Lake where you learned to skate. <laughs> In the beginning of the movie, sadness is confined to the circle of sadness, if you will, uh, which is really a way for the other emotions to block her off, to confine her, to, as we would say it, even close her off and bury her down. Um, she was seen as an annoyance, seen as somebody who would get it in the way, seen as a buzzkill. Um, sadness, get out of here. But by the end of the movie, as you can see in this clip, and sorry, spoiler, but you have had seven years to see this, um, it was clear how important she was to help the little girl Riley process and communicate what she was going through in life. Like the beginning of the movie, sadness is definitely an emotion that we can avoid. We bury it down, we put it closed off, we make a circle of sadness, not wanting it to get out. Let's just confine you over here. Or people tell us to do that, whether they realize it or not. Suck it up. What are you crying about? Different microaggressions and outright rejections of the sadness that we feel. Thankfully, and I really want you to hear this today, God doesn't do that. The message of the Bible, what we see in Scripture, is that God doesn't tell us to treat our sadness that way. God doesn't want us to manage our sadness in that manner. We see time and time again in Scripture, people experiencing sadness or despair. Job said, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Elijah said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am not better than my ancestors. Naomi said, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Jeremiah said, Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? David wrote, I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, God's people sometimes walk in darkness and see no light. There are times when the best and brightest of saints have no joy. But amidst these realities and amidst these people in the Bible communicating their feelings, we also see time and time again, God being one of comfort, of care, and of refuge. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We are not alone in our sadness, and God gives us care and hope and guidance within it. Now, before we talk about this topic today, before we talk about the realities of sadness and depression, we need to understand their differences because they are not the same thing. Sadness is something that comes and goes. Depression is constant. And so sadness is a regular emotional response that we experience in response to hurt or loss or distress. It can come and go, fading whenever the thing that caused it passes on, goes away. So it's, it comes and goes. It ebbs and flows. Depression, though, doesn't do that. I'll go back up one more. Doesn't go, come and go. It doesn't rise or fade based on triggers. Or it doesn't even require one. Depression is just simply present and many times constant. Second thing, sadness is connected to something specific. Depression is a general state of being. With sadness, there is some type of trigger, something that can be pointed to which caused it. And so a moment of loss, failure, rejection, or some other difficult circumstances. Depression is vague, though. It's not a response to specific moments or situations. It's common for people who are depressed to not know why they are. The idea of sadness is definitely in both, but the person who is sad has feelings about something specific. They might not even know what it is, but it's something specific. The person who is depressed has those feelings about everything. Third thing, sadness is more subjective and depression is more objective. And so one article said, it's up to you to say that you are sad. No one can deny that you are sad. It is something that you experience subjectively and independently. But depression, on the other hand, has set criteria and requires an official diagnosis. One source from uh, The Mighty says, Sadness is a very real and difficult emotion to process, but depression is an overwhelming numbness that requires professional help. Now, I feel like it's really important to make these distinctions and talk about this and not just jump to the rest of what we're going to talk about. Because this is really, really important that we cover these things. Because we have to speak about these things in a real, sensitive, compassionate, and healthy way. Maybe hearing the differences, even in those couple slides, gives you language to help describe your feelings or clarify your feelings. Maybe hearing the specific per- specifics of the differences prompts you that it's time to get help. And that's awesome because there's nothing wrong with that. And it's awesome to be able to see the need for that. Dealing with these things takes a lot of strength. Coming alongside someone, dealing with them, takes a lot of empathy. But like I said, Scripture gives us the care, the hope, and the guidance to do so. And so let's, in that, let's look at what we see here in Luke 20, excuse me, Matthew 26. This is a story in the gospels the stories of jesus's life where specifically in this part we're looking at is him being in the garden of gethsemane this is a garden um, at the bottom of the mount of olives this picture that i took here is from during the day but we can see jesus coming at night and coming into this grove amidst the trees to with his friends to pray and it says in verse 36 then jesus went with them to a place called gethsemane And he said to his disciples, "Sit here while I go over and pray." And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, "My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me." Now, in verse 37, we have this first phrase: "He was sorrowful and troubled." The idea here is idea of trouble here is that Jesus is feeling anxious. So go back to everything we talked about last week and we see Jesus experiencing this here in the garden. But then it also says he's feeling sorrow with the anxiety. And it's communicating an idea of Jesus experiencing dread about the cross that's before him. He has a deep, powerful sense of dread for what he's about to experience. Verse 38 says, Jesus specifically articulates my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. The picture here describes somebody at the deepest level of sorrow humanly possible. If there's a bottom of the barrel of sadness, Jesus is below that. That is the depth of the emotion he is experiencing. In essence, when Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, Jesus is communicating, I am so full of sorrow, it is killing me. This is not the only place that we see Jesus expressing strong emotions. In John 11, we see him sobbing at the death of a friend. In John 13, he says he is deeply disturbed about betrayal that's going to come. But here in the garden, the emotions are more intense than anything we've seen up until this point. And we cannot downplay them or minimize them to just say, well, he's a little sad in the face of death. That is a complete misreading of this text. Jesus is saying, I am so full of sorrow, it's killing me. This is beyond sad. And so reading the text is really powerful and really important. He who knew no sin felt and experienced dread and sorrow. And so that means for us to experience dread and sorrow is not a sin either. He never did anything wrong. So that means it wasn't wrong for him to say, I am so full of sorrow, it's killing me. Jesus is over everything, glorious, everlasting, able to subdue all things, has the power to perform miracles and forgive sins, and at the same time, he fully experienced the human realities of sorrow and pain and dread and suffering. He is glorious, but sometimes glory weeps. He is all-powerful, but sometimes the powerful feel agony. This should be a huge comfort to us, especially when we think about the circumstances of our own lives. The word Gethsemane, where this is taking place, means oil press. Oils were crushed for their oil. You'd have a big, huge wheel like this, and you can see that black stuff on the wheel. That's the crushed oils and so they the crushed olives and so they would just spin this wheel around and they would crush the olives so the oil would come out and the picture that luke gives in chapter twenty two forty four, being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground jesus is being described as one who's being crushed like olives being crushed for their oil The emotional weight of what he experienced crushed him to the point of not only dread and sorrow coming out, but blood coming out within his sweat. There are demands in life that we experience, there are circumstances in life that we go through that will press down on us, that will crush us. Job loss, friendships ending, mistreatment by others, sickness, facing death, loss of loved ones society's failures toward different people, plans getting upended, car accidents, loss of promotion, and you fill in the blank with your example. We experience these moments. They press on us. Blood might not come out when that happens, but emotions do. Sadness, dread, exhaustion, anxiety, grief, As we think about what it means to follow Jesus, it is both a comfort and an empowerment to know that if it was not a sin for him to experience these things, then it's not a sin for us to. If he did not minimize and write off his sadness and his deep emotions, then we should not minimize our own or the fact that others do. And so find comfort in the reality. Because many times I think this is the message not only that the society can spend at times, but the church can send at times. Oh, you're sad? Oh, you're depressed? Well, what's the sin in your life? Oh, I, I, oh what, 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 what are you doing wrong? Why aren't you praying hard enough? Why aren't you trusting enough? You can pray all the time and have perfect trust and still experience the reality of sadness, of sorrow, of dread. And how do we know that? because it happened to Jesus. And so find comfort in those realities. Do not let anyone add guilt or shame to the emotions that you experience when life is really hard. What in the garden does Jesus model for us as we go through our own situations in our lives? Well, the first thing that we see is that Jesus gives a name to his sadness. You see this we talked about this a little bit last week as well it's been coming up the need to name what we're going through and so jesus says don't miss that in the text the narrative says that he was sorrow and trouble but jesus specifically like i said articulates my soul is very sorrowful even to death he names it typically we speak language that minimizes or masks rather than naming it or we try to spiritualize things away But doing this is like joy creating the circle of sadness. It may sound positive, it may sound strategic, but truthfully, it's destructive. Because the emotions are not seen to be real, and they're even denied. We have to be honest about what's going on within us. Outside of Jesus naming his pain and the specifics of this passage, another great example of what we're talking about today comes in Psalm 88 i not going to read the entire psalm, but I want to read the first portion of it when we think about this idea of naming our sorrow. It says this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie, lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. I mean, this is definitely not a psalm that joy would have written. This is one that sadness would have penned. And the writer here gives us one metaphor after another, specifically naming his sadness, naming the deep emotions that he's feeling. Full of troubles, drawing near Sheol, literally feeling like in life he's going through hell. A man who has no strength, he is empty and weak, like one set loose, he is an outcast. I feel like I'm an outcast, like one whom you remember no more. I feel forgotten in the regions dark and deep. I feel lost. You overwhelm me with your waves. I feel like I'm drowning. My companions shun me. I feel alone. By not not just general I'm feeling sad but naming it. It gives us power over those realities. Let's just see what's happening so that we can bring those things to the Lord and see not only what's happening in this moment, but what else is going on in our lives. Like the psalmist, like Jesus in the garden, the psalmist gives voice to his pain. When we go through the life's worst seasons, we must speak our pain, name our struggles. To not do so ignores the biblical invitation that we see time and time again Especially in the Psalms of Lament, to be real, to be honest, and to be open. And so think about this. If you were in a season of sadness, which best describes what you're experiencing? What word would you give it? How what would you name it? And what's going on underneath that? What does it reveal? And I think for, you know, if you are not in that season right now, just know that at some point it will come. But you will interact with somebody who is in that season. And this is one of the things we need to be mindful of when we're interacting with somebody and helping somebody is to help them give voice to what they're feeling. Man, what is it? How, what would you call it, what you're experiencing? We have to give a name to our sadness, just like Jesus did. Let's go through the rest of the Gethsemane story and see what else Jesus models for us. It says in verse 39, Going a little further, further he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus gave us an example of naming his pain, naming his emotions. But then the second thing we see is that Jesus gives us the model of inviting others into your experience to help you move through it. Invite others into your experience to help experiences. Should be experiences there, sorry, grammar people. Experiences to help you move through them. Jesus continually engaged people with what he was feeling He brought his 12 disciples along and he asked them to pray for him. But then he shared with three of his closest the depth of what he was experiencing, the depth of his sorrow. And don't miss the detail. He asked 12 of them to pray, but he asked three of them to watch over him. I need you to watch me. I need you to be here with me. I need you to walk through this with me. He Jesus needed these three people to sustain him, to carry him. He is living out here in the garden what other scriptures tell us to do. First Corinthians twelve says, "If one part suffers, every part suffers with it." Galatians six, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. To watch him, they, he wanted them to suffer with him. He wants them. To help carry his burdens, Martin Luther, champion of the Reformation in church history, suffered with depressive, depression and different depressive episodes. At one point he writes to a friend saying this: "I did not sleep all night and still have no peace. Please pray for me for this malady will become unbearable. If it goes on as it has begun, I am growing sluggish and languid and cold in spirit." and I'm miserable. He tells his friend specifically what's happening. I need you to pray with me. I need you to know what's going on. At another time, one of Luther's students confided in him the despair that he was experiencing and that the student even con- was communicating, con- contemplating suicide. Luther wrote to him and said, By all means, flee solitude. For the devil watches and lies in wait for you most of all, When you are alone. Therefore, Jerome, joke and play games with others. In this way, you will drive out your diabolical thoughts and take courage. Be of good courage, therefore, and cast these dreadful thoughts out of your mind. Whenever the devil pesters you with these thoughts, at once seek out the company of men, drink more, joke and jest, or engage in some other form of merriment. For some of you, that's like the coolest thing you've ever heard in church, that last part right there. (laughs) But Luther knows, what is he saying? You can't just be by yourself in a room if this is what you're experiencing. You need to bring people around you. You need to bring people into this with you. Luther knew what Jesus modeled. We need to bring people into our experiences. So a couple things to think about with this. If you are someone that is invited into the sadness of another, Someone is willing to open up to you and tell you what they are experiencing. Let me say this first and foremost. I hope you know what an honor and responsibility that is. Because it is hard to be open with people. It is hard to tell people what we are experiencing. And so if somebody sees you as somebody that is willing to be trusted, who will hear them, you need to be, that is the moment when your attitude of Christ. And being a servant to them needs to kick in and you see the responsibility of what's laid before you. Do not just skip over their pain to the positive and don't simply compare their experiences to others telling them to get over it. Again, quoting Spurgeon, he said, Some strong-minded people are very apt to be hard upon nervous folk and say they should not get into that state. And we are liable to speak harshly to people who are very depressed in spirit, and say to them, Really? You ought to rouse yourself out of such a state. I hope none of you will ever have such an experience of this depression of spirit as I have had. Yet I have learned from it to be very tender with all fellow sufferers. The Lord have mercy on them. That is the disposition we need to have toward those who are struggling. When somebody invites you into their pain, be with them. Don't try to fix them. The closer to the moment, the closer to the trigger, the cause, if it's fresh, your presence is more important than any words you can say. Charlie Peacock, a Christian uh, uh, musician, he wrote an older song called Now is the Time for Tears. And in that song, he says, now is the time for tears. Don't speak, save your words. There's nothing you could say to take this pain away. Don't try so hard you can just simply be cry with me don't try to fix me friend that's how your comfort me when somebody opens up to you that's what they need they need your presence they need your tenderness they need your care if you are in a season of sadness it is an act of strength not of weakness to invite others into your sorrow not that you need to share it with everyone But you need to share it with somebody. You need to not be alone. Take Luther's advice. Find things that make you laugh. Find things that you enjoy. And find people to laugh with you and enjoy those things with you. We need reminders of what is good, of what is great, what is gracious. Because if we're in the midst of it, we can get laser focus on the thing that's causing us the sadness And we need to have our perspective broadened. We need to see more. And bringing people into that and people who can help us laugh is one of the best things we can do for our hearts. Luther said, When I am assailed with heavy tribulations, I rush out among my pigs rather than remain alone by myself. The human heart is like a millstone in a mill. If you put no wheat under it, it still grinds on. And then tis itself, it grinds and wears away. So the human heart, unless it be occupied with some employment, it leaves space for the devil who wriggles himself in and brings with him a whole host of evil thoughts, temptations and tribulations, which grind out your heart. Now, you might not be able to buy a pig. But maybe you do need to get a dog. Maybe you need to, I mean, cat, whatever, I don't know. But um, I'm sorry, cats are good. I'm a dog person, though. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to call a friend. Maybe you need to give yourself permission to just watch some comedic stand-up on Netflix, the newest comedy movie, something to cause you to laugh. You need to give yourself permission to have hobbies and to adjoin them, whether that's painting or cooking or gardening or writing poetry or going to the movies or playing with Legos as an adult or doing video games. Not that I would know a whole lot about those last two, You need to give yourself permission to enjoy life so that you can laugh and that can balance out the sadness and you can have people with you to remind you that you're not alone and God cares for you. Invite people into what you're experiencing so that they can go through it with you. And then the last thing, trust the wisdom and promises of God with your sorrow. Trust the wisdom and promises of God with your sorrow. Jesus prayed basically the same prayer three times in the garden. He says, First, my my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Second time, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then third time, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the exact same words again. Now there's two parts to the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. And the first part, he's asking the Father for another way. Do you realize what Jesus prayed there? He's about to go to the cross so that our, he would die for our sins. He's about to go through the most painful situation, the most agonist death. And his prayer in the garden is, Is there a plan B we can do instead of that? That's what he's praying. He is asking that the pain would end, that the suffering would be avoided, that the cross would not happen. Hear it three different times. Is there a different way than the cross? He who knew no sin did not sin praying that prayer. Can we do this a different way, God? But in the second part of the prayer, He trusted and submitted to the will of the Father. I really don't want to go this route, but I will trust you that this is the route that we need to take. Jesus trusted the Father's perfect wisdom. Other parts of Scripture talk about God's wisdom. Isaiah, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He has perfect wisdom. J.I. Packer says, Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work toward predestined goals with flawless precision. So when Jesus says, your will be done, he is trusting how God has perfectly devised perfect ends. He is trusting how God sees things, how things fit together, how things work toward the Father's plans. And so we can pray as Jesus prays. It is permissible to ask God to change things, to go a different way, to remove the sadness or what causes the sadness. However, this must be done with the spirit of trust and submission. Prayer is not a spiritual shopping spree. It is a language of conversation with God Almighty. It's okay to ask God to go a different route as long as we trust the route that he takes. And so, when we approach God, we have to be honest with our emotions and desires. We have to trust His wisdom that He does know what's best and He is perfect and He knows what's ahead. And there are things that we will not see and we will not understand. But someday, when we can see everything clearly as He does, we'll go, Oh, that's why that happened. And so, we trust His wisdom and we trust His promises and his faithfulness. In her book, Companions in the Dark, uh, Diana Grover. And this is, I've been trying to recommend different books for every one of these topics. This is this week's book, which is kind of probably a little hard to see, but it's called Companions in the Dark, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. And this is where a lot of these quotes from Spurgeon, Martin Luther, she also talks about Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., A couple other individuals as well. So I would highly recommend this one. But she says, thinking about this idea of trusting the Lord, we are these saints cast into darkness. We see God's faithfulness. We see his promises that they are strong enough to hold them and us as well. Don't be dismayed. Their stories remind us. This is a trial many have had to endure, yet you are still his. The Christ who brought you will not abandon you in the dark. We see these saints cast into darkness, but we see God's faithfulness. We see his promises that are strong enough to hold them and us as well. Don't be dismayed. Their stories remind us this is a trial many have had to endure and that you are still his. The Christ who brought you, who bought you, will not abandon you in the dark. The Christ who bought you will not abandon you in the dark we need to bring those moments of sadness and their causes to the lord trusting his provision trusting his faithfulness and trusting his wisdom as we end today thinking about this we're going to receive communion and so uh, we're doing this uh, old school Um, we don't have our little plastic cups if you haven't done uh, communion with us uh, recently Uh, Just to give you a little bit of instruction for what's going to happen, we're going to be passing out um, the bread, and then we're going to be passing out the juice. Uh, When the bread comes along, uh, and you guys can just start passing it out. Uh, When the bread comes along, there's going to be a smaller tray in the tray of bread that has uh, gluten-free bread in it. And so that's for those who actually do need that. Um, And then you can hold on to the bread. The juice is going to come along. Hold on to the juice. And then once everybody has both elements, we'll receive them together. We always take a moment of quiet. And while communion is being passed out, uh, before we kind of move forward and receive it together, we want to have a moment of just being before the Lord, um, meditating on what we've heard, the passages that we've read, um, talking through um, the passages that we've read, this different scriptures, um, and what is God speaking to your heart and sharing with you. And so maybe it's something you need to come to him and just be honest with. Maybe it's something that, You need to, maybe you need to name whatever that emotion is before him. Maybe you need to be quiet and let God bring, prompt your heart with scripture or just words of comfort. But we want to bring our emotions to the reality of the cross, of Jesus' work for us, of the hope and the life that we have with him. It says in Hebrews 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, for we, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tr- tempted in every way, just as we are yet did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that's what we're doing when we come to communion is we're coming to Jesus boldly. And so while, again, I'm going to pray. Keep your eyes open if the communion is coming to you. Um, But we'll just be quiet before the presence of the Lord, and then we'll receive communion in a moment. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray you would encourage us. I pray that you would uh, help give us courage to be open, and you would encourage us with whatever we're holding on to. Let's be quiet before him, before we receive communion. Receive communion together. Psalm 143 says, Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression.